Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. I would love to have been in that Sunday school class because I was telling my sister earlier about Nigeria. Much about Nigeria is not covered in the national news, in fact, not at all. But to be a believer is life and death in Nigeria, especially northern Nigeria. And I keep up with it through Barnabas Aid. My wife and I had supported a child through Compassion International from the time he was like six years old to 22. And now we're looking at Barnabas Aid and something of this nature. So really the persecuted church around the world. So brother, I would love to have been in that class to have heard that this morning to more about what's going on in that part of the world. Well, it's good to be here today. And I have to say my reciprocal command or some reciprocal comments about your pastor is I made this comment on the way to church this morning. Pastor Sean is probably one of the best content preachers and contextual preachers that I know. When I come and listen to him, I'm always blessed and I'm just amazed. Where did he get that from? I like that. I I haven't seen that before. He's a great student of the Word of God. He's a dear friend. We've had some opportunities to be on some missions trips together. And so you go on a missions trip, you go as friends, but you come back as family. You learn all the idiosyncrasies about everybody, whether they're good or bad, during those times. So let's take our Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Ruth. Most people understand Ruth as a love story, but we're not going to look at it in that aspect this morning. We want to look at it more from an exegetical viewpoint and going verse by verse into the first five verses of the book of, the book of Jude. And, excuse me, the book of Ruth. In the book of Ruth, I have a question. We started out with this, the danger of disobedience. The danger of disobedience. Warren Worsby says this about these first five verses. Here's a family that takes a famine and transfers it into three funerals. So I have a question. In all of my series on the book of Ruth, I preference each one of the sermons with a question, so I have a question to ask you is this. Is it ever right to have a legitimate need to fulfill that need in an illegitimate way? For example, you own a house mortgage of, let's say, $800 a month. You don't have the money, but you work for a company, and they entrust you to take care of the weekly deposits. And there's checks to be in deposit and cash to be in deposit, and you think, listen, They don't end up doing bookkeeping and and doing the the end-of-the-month reconciliation of the account. So it's the first of the month. You know what? Nobody really would know it, but I need $800, and I'll just borrow that, and I'll pay it back for the end of the month. The problem of it is, is that is it ever right to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way? The answer to that is no. You're just simply as a thief. There's a situation down in Sanford area now talking to a lawyer or a judge. He's a former judge and lawyer about this. I said... Is that called embezzlement? He said, no, Brother Larry, that's called stealing. He said, there's no other way to get around it. And so here we look at a man that has a legitimate need in a family. So there's a lot of crises in life that are a result of a bad direction or bad decision of poor choices. So here's the need that we find out beginning in chapter 1. And by the way, if you're a studier of the Old Testament and like to study, when you go to the book of Judges, you will learn that in the midst of the book of Judges, here comes the book of Ruth. It's like taken out of that is a story that happened during the age of Judges. Now, Pastor Sean just mentioned about the economic, the political, the material world that we live in. It's such in a turmoil. I'm going to tell you, a time was worse than this. It was the time of the book of Judges. They never seemed to ever get their act right with God. They would get in trouble, plead out to God for repentance. God would send a deliverer. 
you think, man, they've learned from this. But I like what the elderly black preacher said. We never really learn from our lessons. We repeat them over and over again. So beginning in verse 1 of chapter 1 of the book of Ruth. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. So it sets the stage of the story what's going on. That there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Imelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the name of his two sons was Malion and Chilion. Now, we'll talk in a moment about the name of these two boys, but something must be wrong with these parents. The name of their two kids, Melion and Chilion, because we'll see why in just in a moment. And said to the Ephorites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they came into the country of Moab, and continued there. And Imelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab, and the names of one was Orpha, and the name of the other was Ruth, and they dwelt there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion died also, both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. You're talking about desolate, empty, barren, no wonder she said, my name is not Naomi, but my name is Mara. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great music we just heard that has brought us into your presence. And sharing this morning with my daughter, Lord, that the three elements, as Dr. Jeremiah was speaking to this morning, Father, that we need in the New Testament church. That we come together to praise you because, Lord, you're worthy of all praise. And you accept the praise of your children. We come, Father, in time of prayer to offer up our needs and also praise you, Father, during that time. That, Lord, this world has not caught you by surprise. Nothing happens, the Lord, in which you're not aware of, and you know the outcome of that. And, Father, also then we come for the exhortation of your word. And truly, we ask today that, Father, we can expound your word, that you would speak to our hearts. And, Father, your people need a real encounter with you, Father, not with Larry, but, Father, with you today. So, Lord, speak to us. And, Father, deal with our hearts, because, Lord, there's times in all of our lives we just make some dumb decisions. And we forget there's consequences to that, and it just don't affect us, but affect all those that are around us. Help us to be wise stewards of our time, and, Lord, to wait upon you and trust you, Father, in the midst of troubles and all that goes on in our life. Speak to our hearts now, in Jesus' name, amen. A lot of times in life, because of our bad choices as a result we end up in the result of bad problems. Let me give you an example. We'll get a little light and we'll go in a little heavy. You've gone to the grocery store today and you bought you a container of ice cream. It used to be 64 ounces, but now it's 46 ounces, and you pay more for it for 46 than you did 64. But you got home and you forgot about buying ice cream, and so it's 7 or 8 o'clock at night, and a good movie has come on. Maybe it's on the Inspiration Channel or maybe the Discovery Channel or whatever. And you decided, you know, I like to have a snack. Ah, a light comes on. We bought some ice cream today. I'll go over to the refrigerator. And your thought is, I just go get a bowl and get a little bit. But you end up getting the spoon, get the entire container of the ice cream, sit down in your easy chair, and all of a sudden you get engrossed into that movie. And then in a little while, you reach down, and there's the bottom of the container. Before you knew it, you had no intentions to eat the whole thing. But you ate the whole thing. When I was a boy growing up, we would hear this quite often. I'm going to quit school and give me a job make me some money. No skill sets, no technical training, and for the rest of your life, you just struggle to be able to make a living. Then there's another one. If Fred was here, he would know who the man is. 
Back during the 50s and 60s, a very renowned soloist would sing for Dr. B.R. Lake and John O. Rice and other well-known men at that time. And he was at a, uh, in a revival meeting, and they were in a high-class hotel where they were staying, and he told the evangelist, he said, you know, I have a problem with insomnia night. And the evangelist said, you know what? You know, in that room they have little liquors sitting on top of the counter over there and said, I don't tell nobody, but when I have a time of sleeping, I just kind of pop the top of one, take me a little nip, and you know what? Eases me right off. So he gets to his room, finds out, 12 o'clock, he can't sleep, takes a little nip, goes right on to sleep. The next night he has the same problem. He said, you know, if one nip did pretty good, I wonder how two would be tonight. Well, two the night, not before long, he drinks the whole bottle. Then not only after that, he becomes an alcoholic and dies like it. No intentions of ever becoming an alcoholic, shaming himself. But it all started out with what he thought was just an insignificant little decision to take a nip. Little did he realize what it would end up to. Hey man, one puff. Nobody will ever know. Don't you know it's legal in other states? Come on, be in with the crowd. It'll make you feel better. All of these are so innocent, so small, no intent to get hooked. We think of a hundred ways to justify our actions, but we forget wrong decisions, regardless of how small they are, to leave the life-changing consequences in our lives. Then we have good defining moments in our life. There's times when we made a decision because of that one decision, it has changed our entire direction of our life. 25 years ago this past February, I happened for being myself, we were invited to become a part of missions. And for the past 25 years, God changed the entire direction of our lives from 21 years of the pastorate now to 25 years in missions. Hopefully, we make good choices that experience God's blessings. But there come defining moments in our lives that are just a part of life. Uncontrollable choices just happen. For example, the unexpected death of a husband or wife and left you with small children to raise. Never thought of that. But all of a sudden, life has forever changed for you. Then there's a crippling accident or a life-threatening disease. Never planned on it. All of a sudden now, again, life has changed forever. Or for where we're at, a lot of tornadoes and hurricanes come through and destroy your house or your living. Or maybe you finally have found the job you've been looking for. Man, you have dreamed about it. Everybody in the city wanted that job. You've got the job. You've got a great employer. You've got a great boss. You've got benefits. You have room for expansion in your job. Life couldn't get better. It is the apex of your life. Monday morning you go to work. The gate is closed. Chained. Padlocked. Sign on it says, closed, out of business. Decided you will call upper management. Management says, yes, we have a few jobs open, but you've got to be willing to move. Move to Minnesota, up next to the Canadian border. The other places, Puebla, Mexico, no English-speaking people. All of a sudden, life has directly changed. These are things in our lives. We have what is called life. They just happen. That's what Ruth chapter 1 is about. It is about the consequences of choices. In the first five verses, we see the danger of disobedience of choices. So here's the question. Why is disobedience so dangerous? Let me say it again. Why is disobedience so dangerous? Listen to this. Because it's progressive. It just doesn't stop. Three simple points. Number one, the promise of disobedience is always deceptive. I want you to look with me in verses 1 through 3. Notice in verse 1 it said it came to pass in the days of Judges. But notice this. There was a famine in the land. They were living in the land of Bethlehem, Judah. 
But they decided to go down to Moab. And the man's name was Emelech, and we'll look at the names in a moment. And then in verse 3 it says that Emelech died. Now, the text gives the setting of this. It was in the days of the judges of Israel. One of the most sordid times of all of Israel's history. Twelve times they entered into apostasy. Twelve times God sent in a foreign nation to rule over them. Twelve times they cried out for repentance and repented to God. And God would send a judge in and would deliver them. And you think they would learn? Nope. Twelve times over and over again for a period of 300 plus years. Notice some of the oppressing nations. Mesopotamia, Moab, Philistia, Canaanites, Midianites, Ammon, Philistines, and five other nations. But Imelech and his family lived in the days of Judges. Not a very delightful time to live. Some of the darkest days of Israel's histories. Moral society had totally collapsed. It became a cesspool of moral corruption and filled with injustice. Listen to the reason. One reason for this vile, shame, wicked behavior was due to one fact. And it sounds like we have opened up the Roanoke Times, read it this morning. Here it is. It's found in Judges 17.1 and Judges 21.25. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. No standards, no holy right or wrong. Every man just did that which was right in his own eyes today. Situation ethics changes as times goes. So we live in the time of the book of Judges. It is not exactly a wonderful time. Now the ironic thing about this, here was a family that lived in Bethlehem, Judah. Now let's talk about some names. So to get to understanding of this story, you've got to understand the meaning of these names. Bethlehem, Judah means Bethlehem, the house of praise, or the house of bread, that is. And Judah is the land of praise. So here they're living in the house of bread in the land of praise. What a great place to live. So I want you to meet the people. Emelech's name means God is my king. Pretty good name, isn't it? He had a wife named Naomi. Naomi's being pleasant. Not only she was a pleasant person to be around, but her attitude as well. And then she had two sons. And what possessed them to name these two sons, Malon and Chilion, I have no idea. Malon means sickly. And Chilion means puny. Can't you hear mother calling, hey, sickly, and you look like you got a dose of worms? Come over here. That's what Chilion looked like. So here are these two guys, and guess what? They married two women. And another one we're interested to is Ruth, and her name is beautiful. Now, in my age, as a boy growing up, we would use this term. She was a knockout. She was a beautiful Moab woman in every way, personality, skin, you name it. Then there was another one by the name of Orpha. Orpha, if you're in King James, will say it means fawn or deer. But actually, she was the athletic type. Now think of this. Here is Malon now, who is as sickly, marries Ruth, who is now beautiful. And Chilion, who is puny, ends up marrying the athletic type of the lady. Now here comes the decision. There's famine in the land. You know what? I think we'll just go down to Moab and stay just sojourn for a little while. The word sojourn means as an alien or as a guest or a visitor. No permanent residence intended to stay. Just to live there long enough until the famine is over and then we will come back. Emelech's intention was to live there just to leave the house of bread and go down to Moab. Let me tell you about where Moab got its start from. In a cave. Genesis 19. 
You know the story of Lot, his two daughters. They were the only three that escaped the fires of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so here the daughters with their father, and they look around and said, You know what? Nobody's ever going to marry us. His prosperity is going to die. I tell you what we're going to do. We know about our daddy. We've seen him in the gate. He drinks wine and loves to, loves to, to pop that top and drink. I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to get him drunk, and I'm going to lay with him tonight. You'll lay with him tomorrow night. We'll have an incestual relationship with our father. And we both, and they did, and they got pregnant. And one of the girls had a son, and they named him Moab. And the name of the other son was Benamah. So the Moabites and the Amorites, who became thorn in the flesh of Israel all the days of both existence, all because of a little decision that was made one night in a cave, no thinking of what it would lead to. Little decisions have great consequences. And the bad thing about the Moabites is they had sacrificed, and their god was Chemosh, and Chemosh's sacrifice was human sacrifices on the altar. Now, I want you to look at the name Moab. Moab in Psalms 108, verse 9, God calls it my washpot. Another name can be translated in today's English could be called a cesspool or a garbage can or a toilet bowl. And the springs are drying up. The crops in the field are withered. The fruit on the trees is shriveled up. Semelech makes it a choice. He was deceived as the head of the household he wanted. How in the world am I going to make a living and take care of my family? Here I am living in a famine. There's no way that I could put a roof over my boys' heads. And listen to me. I'll tell you one thing. I'm not going to stay here in a famine and let my boys die here. We're going to go down to Moab. We're going to go there and we'll be there for just a little while. That decision, all of a sudden, he changes his name, who means God is my king, to now I am God and my king. I'm going to take things into my hands. So you know what he says? Let's go down to Moab, down to the garbage pool, down to the cesspool, and swim a little while down there. We're going to leave the, the house of bread and the land of praise. We're going to go down to the cesspool and live a while. Did he have a legitimate need? Absolutely. A famine was in the land. And the devil will always take a person who has a legitimate need and entice them to meet that need in an illegitimate way. Listen to that again. The devil will always take a legitimate need in your life and tempt you to fulfill that need in an illegitimate way. Want to know an example? Jesus has been in the wilderness for 40 days. He's been fasting. He has a legitimate need. He's hungry. Satan appears to him. He knows who he's talking to. You can speak to these rocks and turn them into bread. A legitimate need. He was hungry. And Jesus rebukes him and says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Emelech's convinced he needed to fix his own problem. God has ordained a law of sowing and reaping. Listen to this. Be not deceived. God is not mock. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to his flesh shall of his flesh, shall of his flesh. Now I've gone blank. I'm a Joe Biden. <laughs> Corruption. Thank you, Sean. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of his spirit reap life everlasting. This is true with the decisions we make. You, small, you sow a very small thing, 
and it unleashes a harvest of trouble. An act of small act of disobedience leads to huge consequences. The reason we, we are disobeyed is because we're deceived by what sin promises. Listen to this. It always promises much, but delivers very little. You ever heard it's too good to be true? A friend of mine who is dead now at Gospel Light Baptist Church down in Winston-Salem, Dr. Bobby Robinson, told me of a slick-selling investor came through his church, supposedly was a believer, and talked to a lot of people who had their retirements into R.J. Reynolds and others to give that up and give it to him. He could guarantee him 12 to 15% income on their money. Many people took all of their life savings, their retirement, and invested it with this man. All of a sudden, one day, he disappeared with their money. They lost absolutely everything because they were promised much and received nothing. I wrote this down many, many years ago in my Bible, and probably you've written it down as well, and if you haven't, it'd be a good idea to write it down. Sin will take you further than you want to go. Sin will cost you more than you want to pay, and sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. Let me say it again. Sin will take you further than you want to go. Sin will cost you more than you want to pay, and sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. First, we see the promise of disobedience. It is always deceptive. Dr. John R. Rice had a book many, many years ago, and on the front of it had a picture of an apple with a worm coming out. And it said this on it. The title of that little track was, All of Satan's Apples Has Worms in Them. Remember that. The promise of disobedience is always deceptive. Number two, the progression of disobedience is always downward. Look at Ruth chapter 1. I want you to underline three words in chapter 1 and verse 1. Notice this. You said it went down to sojourn. Underline sojourn. Then look in verse 2. The very last two words is there. They continued there. Then look in verse 4. The last two words. About 10 years. So here's the progression. We're just going to sojourn for a little while. But they end up continuing there. And all of a sudden they continue there. Ended up 10 years. No intentions of ever being there. A short vacation ended up to a permanent residence. They're out of the land. They're out of the will of God. And they're away from the people of God. Let me say that again. They're out of the land of God. They're away from the, 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 out of God's will and away from the people of God. Now the devil, and I want you to talk back to me. All of us know this, so you've got to answer this. Give the devil an inch. So true, isn't it? Give him a foothold in your life. He will make a stronghold. Abimelech takes his family down to Moab. Then look in verse 3. What does it say? But Imelech, Naomi, husband, died. What an irony. Why did he leave Bethlehem, Judah, the place of praise? To avoid death. What happened to him? He died. The author does not tell us how. The dangerous thing is to try to live outside of the will of God. But it gets worse. Not only does he die, but his two sons now end up marrying Moabite pagan women, a violation to Judeo teaching and ethics. It all started with a little decision of a short trip. We're just simply going to go down a sojourn where they're going to be there for a little while, a justifiable need in his life. It's famine. We'll just go there until the famine's over, and we'll come right back home. Now Naomi has a husband that's dead. She has two sons that marries Moabite women who are pagans. 
Malon marries Ruth, Chilion marries Ophah. But Naomi had some hope. Even though these are pagan women, you know, the prosperity of my husband and the name will carry on because I have two sons, they're married, and they're going to have children. But there's only one problem. Their wives have no children. They're barren. And it gets worse. Malon and Chilion die. Why did you leave Bethlehem, the house of praise? Why did you leave the house of bread and the land of praise? To get away from the famine. To take care of my family. I'm not going to let them die here in this land. And the very thing he tried to escape is a thing that came upon him. Listen, you can't outrun death. B had just four years ago had finished her 33rd round of radiation, not counting chemo. It was our son's birthday. It was November the 11th, 2019. I was upstairs in my office. All of a sudden, I began to feel very uncomfortable in my chest and pain down in my elbow. I thought, they'll have a hard time getting me out of here if I have a problem up here. I go downstairs, and as soon as I get downstairs, I think an elephant is on my chest and feel like my heart is going to explode. B says, what's wrong? I said, I think I'm having a heart attack. I walk to the front door, and everything turns black, and I mean seriously black. I remember, take some nitroglycerin. I did, and the pain backed off. But I remember after those times of having severe anxiety, every chest pain, I thought it was a heart attack. Every twinge in my chest, I thought I was going to die. I went through great anxiety until finally my doctor looked at me and said, Larry, listen to me. There's nothing that I can do and no one else can do. If a, blo- if a plaque breaks off and goes into one of those stents, you'll have a heart attack. Me or no one else can do it. And listen to me, son. He said, you got X number of heartbeats and nothing that me or no other doctor can do to ever extend your life. God has given X numbers. You know what? Peace came over me to realize this. Life and death are in the hands of God. Not in my hands. I can eat all the brown rice I want, eat all the vegetables I want, do all the jogging I want, but he knows something, I'm still going to die. Enjoy life until then. But I'm not going to let my boys die. We're going to get away from here. We're going to get out of sight of the will of God for a little while, and I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And the very thing he tried to escape happened to him and his sons. And listen to the worst thing. And Naomi was left of her husband and her sons. The very thing that Imelech tried to, tried to prevent brought about the near extinction of his family. He tried to avoid death. And it came anyway. Why did he move to Moab? To save his family. What happened? Imelech and his sons died. You can't run away from death. You see the progression is sojourned. Just the sojourn ended up being 10 years. All of a sudden clicked away little by little by little by little. Disobedience is always downwards. The greasy slope. Once you start on it, it's hard to stop and turn around. The promise of disobedience is deceptive. Satan will deceive you in making wrong decisions. Number two, the progression of decisions is always downward. Now we come to the third and final point is in verse 5. The product of disobedience is devastation. Look in verse 5. 
And Amalion and Chilion died, both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. So a little, reap a lot. Naomi's in a foreign country. In fact, let me tell you how foreign it is. They're enemies of Israel. She's not favored. She's not looked upon. She's a widow. She's equivalent as being homeless. She has absolutely nothing. No husband, no sons, no protection, no social status. And on the rung of the ladder, the social ladder, she's under the leaf to the bottom rung of the ladder. She is absolutely no one, nobody there to help her or to assist her. You're talking about destitute and down and out. No wonder she says, my name is Mara. She is devastated. Here, if you don't get nothing else, what I say, I want you to listen to this one statement. When we sin, we think we're the only ones that are affected. But it affects everybody else around us. I'm going to say that again. When we sin, we think we're the only ones that are affected. But everybody else around us is affected. The primary solution now, as we conclude this. primary solution is called repentance in verse 6. And I love this verse. And when she arose with the daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited His people, living, giving them bread. She makes a decision in verse 6. She hears of all time, of all places, and the, land of, and the land of Moab, in the cesspool, down in the garbage can, that the famine is over, and the house of bread, and in the land of praise. Listen to this. Aren't you glad we serve a God who comes to us in the garbage can of our life? Aren't you glad there's no pit so deep where the love of Christ is not deeper than? Aren't you glad that the light of the Lord Jesus Christ can fill the darkest valley of your life. When she heard it, she was in all places. She was down in Moab in the garbage can. But she did more than that. She was James chapter 1, verse 22. Blessed are those who are not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. She heard and she acted upon it of all places in Moab. Repentance is a change of mind that produces a change of way. Naomi's heart was cold. Listen, she's out of the land of God. She's away from the people of God. She's, a, she's away from the Word of God. Ten years away from that will do a number on your soul. You can become as cold and as lifeless as a piece of cold steel. But nevertheless, she took the correct step. I'm going back to the land of praise and to the house of bread. It was a defining moment in her life because she took one step. Listen to this. God took ten. Today can be a defining moment of your life. Whatever's going on, wherever you're at, this moment today, nobody else may know it. I remember the day in my life when my life changed in 1973. It was the defining moment of my life had changed the last 50 years of my life. One simple step of repentance and obedience to God. You, my friend, today, that can be a defining moment in your, your life. Repentance must be decisive, otherwise it is not repentance. It is a decision to say, this is kind of living that I've been living. I'm turning 180 degrees and going the opposite direction. Are you toying around with sin? You'll always be bit by it. You can never escape it. 
Are you making some bad choices? Is there disobedience in your life? Maybe hanging around with the wrong crowds. Mama was right when she said, you lay down with the dogs, you get up with fleas. I know some of you lay down with your dogs, so you get up with fleas. If you take, don't take care of them. My daughter back there just looking at me, smiling from ear to ear. All right, justify them saying, it's just a small thing. Nobody ever knows. God knows. And it affects your soul. Disobedience is a stab into the Father's heart. God is hurt by it. It breaks His heart. And we suffer for it. Disobedience promises much, but delivers nothing. Oh, listen, listen, if you just do this, you have the sky is unlimited. You have all of these things before you, Satan will tell you. But literally, as he tell you, that actually there are void promises. Nothing behind them but devastation. The only path is downward. And the only thing we have left is devastation. Isn't it wonderful to know that when we return our heart to the Father, He's always ready to receive us. And there you have it. Not this first story about love, not about romance. This is a wonderful, wonderful book of the Bible of the kinsman redeemer. We know about the Lord Jesus Christ is born through the lineage of using Ruth in his life. Later on, we know all about these things. But there's the promise of disobedience is deceptive. There's the progression of disobedience that is downward. There's the product of disobedience is devastation. And we think that nobody will be affected but us, but we're always wrong. What we try to take matters in our hands ends up being a mess every time. The last church I had pastored, I remember walking into the church, and it was empty, and I walked around the building and said, God, I, I, I did a Chinese prayer. Eyes open, talking like I'm talking to you. And I said, God, I've done it my way for the last two churches. I'm tired of it. I've had to live with the results of doing it my way. It's going to be your way. And Lord, if this church falls flat on its face and you get the glory, then you do it. And I will say, okay, you just put the name out there, and I will sign my name to it, whatever you want to do. Friends, when I took my hands off and trusted God, we saw God do the miraculous in a church that it grew phenomenal. I remember we went there with 69 people, and I told my two teenage sons at that time, I said, the day will come when the sheriff's department will be out here directing traffic. They looked at each other and looked back at me and they said, have you gone crazy? Well, the day came. When 1,600 people were leaving church and the sheriff's department was out there taking care of traffic. I didn't try to change it. I just said, God, if you want to do it, you do it. And God, if you want it to fall, that's okay because it belongs to you and it doesn't belong to me. We have legitimate needs. Don't try to fulfill that need in an illegitimate way. Trust God. Wherever you're at, remember this. You take a step to the right direction. God will meet you where you're at. He'll take the next steps. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege to speak in Pastor Sean's pulpit. And Father, for the joy of being with your people today. Lord, we ask this question before we come. Will our worship be acceptable in your sight? And we ask this question now. Lord, we trust that it has been acceptable in your sight. You know the needs of our life. You know where each one of us are at, Father. And I pray, Lord, that this message today has spoken to us. Lord, calls us to be more obedient servants just to trust your hand, regardless of what's going on in our life, regardless of the unseen, no matter how devastating the future may look, you're in control, and you're already there. You're beyond that. 
And we trust you, Heavenly Father, for those results. Lord, this can be a life-changing day for some folks sitting in this congregation. Maybe no one knows what that decision is between them and you, but Lord, it can be life-changing and be eternal blessings. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor, for the privilege to be in your pulpit today. Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.